Hi folks, Bob Main here, and welcome to another episode of the Handgun World Podcast. A practical show done by a practical guy. That is me. This is being released on Sunday, August 9th, 2020, and this week, John Adine joins me to discuss Shooter's Elbow, a question that a listener asked me to talk about, and so I figured I would get the best person that I knew that was qualified, and that is Dr. John Adine. I'll be introducing him in a moment. We're going to talk about what Shooter's Elbow is, how to treat it, how to prevent it, and uh, things like that. Let me remind you, this show is sponsored by Concealment Solutions Holsters. And speaking of that, for the month of August, because you are a listener, if you just use the coupon code HANDGUNWORLD at checkout, you get a 15% discount. 15% discount for the month of August just by putting in the coupon code HANDGUNWORLD at concealmentsolutions.com. For those of you who are Shooters Club members, you get an extra benefit. You get 15% off through the month of September as well. You have to email me to get the coupon code. That's a different coupon code than the handgun world. But just email it to me if you're a Shooters Club member. And I'll give you the code to use at checkout. And you'll get 15% off through the month of September. A lot of fine holsters at concealmentsolutions.com. I own several of them. I, I, I like them very, very much. Especially the outside the waistband and the inside the waistband. Uh, Dr. Adeen's going to talk about one that he recently got for appendix carry that he got through Concealment Solutions as well. So check that out. Remember to come train with Ben Branham and myself. We're going to be teaching Beyond Concealed Carry uh, September 19th and 20th right here in San Antonio. And we got another one scheduled in Dallas in November. Uh, check that out. Come train with us. The San Antonio class is half full. So we, uh, we do put a limit on the class size so that you get real good instruction and the class is not too, too full. You'll get both of us as teachers of the class and we can spend a lot of time on helping you uh, learn the different drills and things like that. It's just a much better experience when you have a smaller class. So it is half full. Please don't procrastinate. And enrollments have started for our Dallas class in uh, in Waxahachie, Texas, November 7th and 8th, 2020. Check those out at handgunworld.com. Just go to my website, handgunworld.com. You'll see the links right there in the menu for both of those classes. Okay, let's get right to the interview with Dr. John Adine. Well, my special guest back on the podcast, John Adine. Dr. Adine, welcome back. And it's my pleasure as always. Yeah, it's great. Uh, one of my regular uh, contributors, so it's it's great to have you. It's good to be here. I'm looking forward to sharing some info. <clears throat> and for people who um, who uh, want to see a video of this, I'm also going to put this up on YouTube. It'll come out probably about three days after the audio podcast comes out. But we're going to be kind of demonstrating some stuff, too. So they might want to go to the to the YouTube feed of it. Um, so I wanted to bring you on, John. About a month ago, one of my listeners emailed and he asked me if 
If I ever had any plans to do anything with you on Shooter's Elbow, or also called Tennis Elbow, uh, I guess, right? Right. Yeah, golfer's elbow. Or too. golfer's elbow. All right. So here we are. So let's talk about that. Why don't, um, for the purposes of people who are new, and I've been getting emails lately saying that they're new listeners, explain to people briefly who you are and what you do. Sure. Uh, yeah, my name is Johnny Dean. I am a pediatric orthopedic surgeon uh, here in San Antonio. I've been in private practice here for just about 23 years now. So I've been taking care of kids that long. Before that, I was a Navy doctor. Um, I did my orthopedic training at Oakland Naval Hospital and then did my uh, pediatric fellowship after spending a couple of years as a doc on a ship and uh, also as a general orthopedic surgeon at uh, Jacksonville Naval Hospital. Um, I did my pediatric fellowship at the Shriners Hospital for Children in Springfield, Massachusetts. And after that, I came to San Antonio. Awesome. Okay, so I wanted you to establish your credibility on this subject. Yeah. So what is shooter's elbow, tennis elbow, golfer's elbow, whatever you want to call it? What is it? Well, the medical term is lateral epicondylitis. And what it really is is a problem of the uh, insertion of the forearm muscle at the outer half of the humerus. Uh, And that's the muscles that bring your wrist back. So they're the ones that have you do this. Okay. Okay. So you you feel it right there. Right yeah. over the outside part of your elbow. Yeah, I do. Right uh, right here, right? Yeah, it's a little bit further back. It's a little bit... Go back, back towards... No, go down. Go down towards... No, towards your forearm. Yeah, now towards... Straight towards the camera. Okay. Keep coming, keep coming, keep coming, keep coming. Oh. Okay, and now move back... Not move up towards... Yeah, the there it is. <laughs> yeah. There okay, it is. So that's there it extensor is. extensor carpial narrowness and... and um, okay. So that that's your wrist extensor... Okay. okay, and it also it helps with grip too. It's you know there's a you, you need to have that working well in order to have a decent grip. Yeah, I can tell when I make a when I can tell when I make a fist, it kind of lumps right. up right there. Exactly. That's, that's okay. You can see that little bump right on the side of your elbow. That's yep. the lateral epicondyle. Okay. 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 So you can see that there. So anyway, um, and it's caused by repetitive trauma usually. Uh, that's why it's tennis elbow because it's repetitive hitting of the tennis ball or repetitive hitting of the golf ball. Um, in shooters, it's it's the gripping of the gun and it's the recoil management. And so what happens is you get uh, degenerative changes in the tendon portion where it attaches into the bone on the outside of the humerus bone, okay, or the outside of the elbow. I mean, most people call this this your elbow, even though the elbow is a joint. Mm-hmm. Okay, and so what you're talking about is actually the muscle insertion on the humerus itself. Okay, all right. Thanks for that explanation. Um, so what what can we do to prevent getting that condition? Right. Well, first of all, I've had it myself. I ha- I've had it twice. Both times it took a year to get better. Ooh. So if you get tennis elbow or shooter's elbow. Don't expect it to go away very quickly. Okay. Okay. So the first thing you can do is, of course, rest, ice, anti-inflammatories. Uh, I've used a, a tennis elbow strap, which is a, a compression strap that you can wear around the upper part of the, the humerus. I mean, upper part of the forearm, rather. Um, oh, darn it. I had it up, and then it, it switched back to the end. But I'll show you a picture of me actually shooting with a um, 
with a tennis elbow strap on. Oh, people need to check out the YouTube version of this so they can yeah. so they can see the picture. I, I had it pre-selected and it went away. Okay. So let me see if I can find it here. And this is actually a picture of me at Mag 180. Oh. So I, I was I was taking the Mag 180 class, and of course that that's a five day class with a lot of shooting, and you have to shoot quals every day. So it's you know it basically got me through that class without killing myself. So was, what did you do to even though it might have taken a year, what did you do to get rid of the symptoms? Well, anti-inflammatories help, the tennis elbow strap. Um, some of the other things you can do is physical therapy, uh-huh. uh, stretching and strengthening the muscles. Also, um, they can do uh, certain te- techniques. There's something called iontophoresis, which is taking a steroid cream. And um, here we go. Finally, I found it. So so you can see me shooting with a tennis elbow strap on my left elbow. Oh, yeah, I see that. And we're okay. um, shooting. Yeah, shooting a Chapman technique. That's part I of see the, that. Yeah, I see that. That okay. That, but you uh, see the arm. tennis elbow strap there. Uh huh. So I am very well versed in, ten, in tennis elbow. Believe me. Okay. Anyway, so something uh, iontophoresis is basically using a steroid cream and then using ultrasound to to heat up the tissues and to help get the steroids in there as an anti-inflammatory. Um, uh, some people will actually do steroid injections into the into the tendon. Although sometimes that's good, sometimes it's not. Uh, and then the last resort after six months to a year might be surgery where you go, in, where they go in there and clean up the tendon and then repair it. Which um, I would assume you want to avoid if at all costs. Yeah, possible. you want to avoid that at all costs. And, and again, you got to give it at least a year, I would say. Um, and so that's, that's what you can do for it. Um, so, but what's the, what are the symptoms you get when you have tennis well, elbow or shooter's elbow? Right. So when you, when you just bring the wrist back, yeah. You'll feel pain right there. A lot of pain, yeah. Okay. Yeah, so so that's it. And also, when you're gripping a firearm, and the, with the recoil, you'll feel that uh, feel a, kind of a sharp pain right in that area. And what the, what the strap does is it actually just kind of disperses the force of the muscle a little bit. And uh, I've actually used a, a sleeve with a strap built into it, which actually works pretty well. It's okay. kind of a it's kind of a uh, uh, lycra spandex sleeve with a strap. Mm-hmm. So, and some people will use the the sleeves and then put the strap over the top of it. Some of the straps have like a gel portion where you put it over the muscle, so that kind of helps disperse the force. And and frankly, it helps. Um, okay. Having, li- having lived with it, I think it's a perfectly reasonable thing to to do. Um, you know, you you probably want to um, limit the amount of shooting that you're doing if you can while while you're having a lot of pain um, and then also sometimes you can change a little bit of your technique you can you know like go to a different like go to a weaver stance or go to a you know well chap- did that chapman help you uh I, I don't really remember if it did or not okay okay but um but you know an isosceles stance you know stance with your arms pretty much straight out sometimes that if you have a little bit of uh, bend in your elbow, that may help absorb some of that recoil. But a lot of it's the gripping, you know. I mean, it's if you're getting a really good grip on your firearm, you're yeah, gonna, yeah, you're going to feel that. So it's the gripping. Yeah, it's really the it's the grip, and then it's the recoil mitigation. That's when you shoot the, when you shoot the gun and you get the recoil, it that goes up up your forearm. Yeah, and you feel it there. 
But when it's when it's bothering you, when you pick up something, you, you grab a like a suitcase or a, the first time I got it, I was carrying a briefcase, and I and it was at our uh, the American Academy of Orthopedic Surgeons meeting, and it was like a mile to the uh, place that, you know where the the meeting hall was from mm-hmm. my hotel, and I walked it one time carrying a a briefcase that probably weighed about fifty pounds. It was pretty heavy, and I ended up with tennis elbow. Um, the good news is I actually interviewed for the job that I have right now. <laughs> so it was worth it. But, okay, uh, so, so a question that I have always wanted to ask a physician like yourself that knows this stuff. Okay, so when shooting, all right, now I do something that a lot of people tell me that I shouldn't do when I'm shooting. Uh, instead of locked elbows, I I break my right. elbows uh, a little and, bit. And I think that's good because I think that – you get some recoil mitigation. I, I took a class. Last People say week. I shouldn't do that, but yeah, with Steve Fisher, and he actually recommends that you do that, and that you rotate your forearms and point your elbows down a little bit. Rotate your forearms and point them down towards the ground. So, so point your elbows down. Down towards the ground. Instead of out to the side. Yeah. Okay. And so, but but don't lock your elbows. Yeah, don't lock. Don't lock. Yeah, I, yeah. and I don't lock. I don't yeah. lock. Okay. And, and I think that's you know I think that's that's a reasonable way to go. It helps you with recoil management. Well, it always has, and it's yeah, it's something arm. I've always done since I started shooting because uh, the first couple months I started doing a lot of shooting, I was locking, I was locking the elbows because everybody was saying, lock your elbows, lock your elbows, lock your elbows, and it was painful even almost 15 years right. ago doing that. Right, and some people are so flexible, but they hyperextend their elbows 20 or 30 degrees. Oh, okay. Uh, you've, I don't know if you've seen that. A lot of women actually, if they lock their elbows, they're actually hyperextended, and that's Didn't not notice that. a good position. I, I have a cousin who's that way, and, he, and it's a guy, and he's as big as I am, but his elbows hyperextend like twenty to thirty degrees. Oh, and wow. so that's yeah. So that that, that may, can't may be good. Some difficulties with that technique. Yeah. Okay. All right, so so it's caused by just straining that a lot, and you're saying right. you're saying the grip uh, and mitigating recoil. Okay, so let's talk about grip, because um, everybody says grip that gun real hard, grip it real hard. And you know, when Ben and I teach classes, which I hope people join us next month here in, in September, I always try to coach students to grip it hard enough to control the recoil, but don't over grip. Right, and I think um, if you overdo it, it, it causes issues. And, um, you know, I mean, when, when like Masada Yub, he says, grip it until you shake. Crush grip till you shake. Yeah. Until you, and then come off a bit. So you, you're really got a firm grip because grip is, is, is actually the key thing to shooting as far as I'm concerned. It is, yeah, yeah, but it can cause a lot of strain on your right. well, tendons yeah, and, and things, right? And that's why, you you know, you have to you may have to do some exercises to keep your muscles strong. And, and that's the nice thing about physical therapy. They will teach you the exercises that you need to do uh, in order, you know, both stretching and strengthening exercises. But, you know, doing exercises, but just bringing in your wrist back. That's a good exercise for strengthening that muscle. Like that? Just like that, okay. yep. So just bring your wrist back. Okay. And then stretching it, you can push down. And stretch That stretches the muscle so it's not overly tight. So those are two things that you can do just, you know, on your own. Um, but Now I'm going to ask you, now I'm going to ask you a strange question. Sure. I notice more pain here. 
mm-hmm. when I'm shooting a small gun versus a big gun. When I shoot a big, large gun, two things work to my advantage, it seems like. And, and, if, and if you think this is not true, feel free to tell me. The one thing is the larger grip surface of the gun gives me more to grab onto. So I don't have to squeeze it quite as hard because I got more to grab onto because my fingers are long. Right. And the second thing with a big gun, even though it's heavier, it's soaking up so much of the recoil that it's not pounding me right here quite Absolutely. as hard. Because the other thing is if you have a small um, diameter grip on a firearm, you have to close your hand tighter to get around it. Yeah, you right? do. If you're squeezing two fingers – you have to squeeze more than if you're squeezing the whole hand. Yeah, you have to or, squeeze more. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So the range of so the range of motion is is a tighter range of motion, and so you're actually using those muscles more in a, in a contracted state to begin with to hold on. Yeah, like and, my P365. Okay, small yeah. gun. One of the complaints I have about this gun, even though I love it, uh, is you know look at this. I mean, you know, my hands basically make this whole grip disappear. Right. And and I can't get much of my hands, especially my weak hand, on the grip. So I find myself squeezing, and then after, after a while, my elbows like, oh man, that hurts a little bit doing that. Yeah. Where yeah, with a with a bigger gun, that doesn't seem to be the problem. Yeah, uh, I I think that's perfect. That makes perfect sense actually. You're trying to hold a smaller a smaller diameter grip. Um, and, and you know, I, now I have relatively small hands, so the 365 grip for me is nice. I I really like it, and, and I don't have an issue with you know surface area. I can I can get good a good grip on that gun. Mm-hmm. Um, but also, you know, if you're shooting a nine millimeter, say plus P round out of that that gun, Ugh. you know, you're going to feel a lot more recoil than if you're, sh- you know, if here you're we shooting, go. Yeah, if you're shooting. This gun versus this gun, okay, you're going to feel a lot more recoil with this one than this one. For people who are not watching the YouTube version, he's comparing, it looks like you're comparing a Sig Legion, right? Yeah, it's a it's a 226. It's your 226 Legion, and in the other hand, you're holding up a P365XL. Right. And, and so, okay. and so the, the, there's a there's a big difference in yeah. felt recoil with those two firearms. Yeah, and, and certainly you can. Um, there are some tricks that you can do uh, with a small gun. Masada Yub likes the thumbs down grip. Yeah. So what you're doing is you can you can put your non-dominant thumb over the top of your your uh, dominant side thumb and create a uh, lock. Right, and you can lock it down. Now, Steve Fisher, for, for, because I have an arth- arthritic hands, showed me another trick, which is to take your thumb of your dominant hand and lock it in kind of at the base of your thumb. Of I've your done that before. And that really tightens up the grip. That really works well for me. Yeah. It, it's, it, it keeps me from shaking as much, but it gives me better power in my, my non-dominant uh, hand. Yeah. Yeah, I've tried that before. I just can't seem to get away from just a regular thumbs forward grip. Maybe I'll try this uh, this locking. Although here's the problem, John, with me. See, when I do that, when I bring this thumb right here over yeah. here, now my grip has loosened up. 
uh, it seems like it's loosened. And ah, oh, you know what that does, man? That makes that hurts my strong hand to do that. Yeah. Well, then, so, I mean, you have to find what works for you. you know? And you know when and, I do this, when I put these, uh, when I put these um, 124 grain. Uh, federal HSTs in that. Yeah. Ooh, these are punishing yeah, in they, those they small do, they guns. Do, they do snap a bit. Yeah. So that's why, for me I use personally, the 147s actually. <laughs> yeah. Uh, HSTs. Yeah. Ooh, those things will smack you too. Yeah. Um, they're heavier. They're a heavier bullet, so they're actually they're not as snappy. Ah, uh, yeah, they're that's, not. That's a trick that Masada, you've taught me a long time ago. Yeah, I remember uh, when I first took his class. He was when I first took he, his class in 2010. He was doing that. Yeah, no, he. Yeah, in fact, I had to load his magazines when he was doing the pace setter, and that's when I noticed he was he had 147s. I'm going, hmm, put that away in the computer. And then I later on I asked him, I said, why do you use 147? Oh, it's a little bit softer shooting. You missed a it's good not. opportunity there, John. You could have. Stuck a couple dummy rounds in there and threw them off and. Uh, no, nah, I don't want to. Do that. <laughs> it, was, it was the first time I had met him and I, you know. Yeah, no, that I wouldn't be. I wanted to keep keep them as, as on my side rather than the other way around. That wouldn't be a good uh, a lesson in how to win friends and influence people. No. Uh, but that's you know what we're talking about is one of the reasons why I, I encourage people whenever possible to shoot a, a larger gun, even larger than this you know this P three sixty five. That's a small one. I mean, you want. Yeah, I, I, I told a nurse yesterday, okay, uh, uh, and she's probably close to 60 years old. She's got arthritic hands, and, um, you know, she had a, a, a lot of difficulty with th- doing things like racking the slide. Um, and so we, we I showed her the technique of racking the slide. Um, and, of course, you, you know, I think you guys teach, this, teach it too, where you hold the gun in tight to your hip. Correct. You, you get the hands, the, the grip, so, yes. you know, the, the, the kind of the... the ben and I the teach that, grip, yeah. With the thumb pointed back towards yourself. Yeah. And then, if I can stand up, maybe I can show yeah. you. Yeah, go ahead. But you hold it in tight, and you push-pull. Push-pull, pull. right. Except that there's a magazine in there, so Except I that, yeah. get the idea. Yep. It's, it's unloaded, but it's the push-pull technique. Yep. And that, you know, so when I showed her how to do that, she was able to rack a 9mm slide on, on the full-size gun. Um, and so that's important for people with arthritic hands. So, you know, you figure the, so it's the over the, you know, the thumb over the top of the thumb uh, helps with, with people with arthritic hands. Doing things like that helps with people with arthritic hands. Uh, we're actually going to, you know, she was able to manage a, a 22 caliber pistol pretty easily because the mm-hmm. springs are light. Mm-hmm. Uh, and of course, the Smith and Wesson has the Shield EZ, uh, and so yes. we're gonna we're gonna look at a 380 for her and see what uh-huh. she does. Uh, the other thing is that you know as we get older, our vision gets a little crappier. So oh she liked yeah, the, she liked. The, uh, I had some red dot pistols and I had some pistols with regular iron sights, and of course the red dot pistols were easier for her to see. She's got some vision issues as as we get older, you young guys don't understand it, but later on when you get older, you will. You will understand it, yes. Right, that, uh, you know, the you red will. dot is is really uh, very uh, well thought out. In fact, when you shoot a red dot, you focus on the, on the threat, and you superimpose the red dot over the threat. That's the right. way your brain and eyes are designed to work. Yeah. If you think about it, if somebody's coming after you with a knife, you're not going to want to look for the front sight. You're going to be looking for 
for the putting the red dot over the bad guy, you're looking at the bad guy. That's the threat. Uh, yes, absolutely. And so the red dot works with the way our brains work. It's hard, you would have to do a lot of good training in order to be able to force yourself to look at the at the front sight. Mm-hmm. Uh, of course, now Bob will teach you how to just do you know uh, whatever you want to call it, point shooting or. You know, we'll teach you a little bit of that next yeah. month in the class. Kinesthetic alignment and things like that. Yeah, whatever name you want to give it, it's pretty much all right. the same thing. However, you took John Payne's uh, Red Dot Pistol School with me a few years back. Right. And um, uh, the biggest takeaway I had from John's class, and I have to say I didn't believe him because he told me he was going to teach it before we started. The biggest takeaway I had is when he taught us to line up our iron sights, our backup iron sights, and the red dot's right there. Yeah. And it is. It is. And that's what, if I, you that's just, what I tell people. Look if for you, that front sight. Yep. Look for look that for front, that front sight. sight. Magically, that red dot will appear. Magically, it'll appear. And if you just present the gun and look for the sights like you normally would if you did not have a red dot on the gun... Right. There's the dot right there. Right. It shows up well. And the other thing that we have to remember is that there's no parallax. So wherever that red dot is on the screen is where the bullet's going. That's the second that's, that's the second thing I learned. I didn't right. know. Yeah, you don't have to put the red dot over the top of your front sight. Right. Anywhere on that window that that red dot appears is, is, the, is where the bullet's going to go. Yeah. If you execute your trigger press properly. But I will say, I think it's going to take probably the average person about a good 500 rounds of live shooting to reliably figure out how to get your dot every single time. And and some of it is ergonomics of the gun, too. For instance, when we took that class, I I had a a Glock 17, Mm -hmm. and I struggled with trying to get that red dot consistently on on the screen. It was always somewhere else where it needed to be. I had to kind of play around with it. When I went to the SIGs, I found that it was actually much more of a natural point of aim for me, basically. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, and so that, that grip angle for me is better. Uh, and so I, I tend to carry the SIGs. Uh, I have, you know, you know, the, um, th- the, the Legion, uh, 226 with and without the the red dot Mm -hmm. and you know and so i like the red dot better because it's it's you know i still practice some with the iron sights just because i need to practice with iron sights but it's much more difficult for me and my groups aren't as tight it takes me a little longer because i have a hard time focusing on the front sight because of of my presbyopia which is old man's eyes i have that too i have presbyopia and as you know once you hit your 40s and 50s, you're gonna. It's gonna get worse and worse. When you get to 60, it's even worse. <laughs> it's even worse. Trust thank me. you for thank you for teaching me how to pronounce presbyopia. Yes. Did I do that right? Yes, that's correct. Okay, I I would when I, when I saw that on a on a piece of paper, I couldn't figure out how to pronounce that presbyopia. Yeah, it's like Presbyterian Church, right? Presbyopia. That's all it is. But you're absolutely right. Now, now I'm going to say something about a grip angle, something that I, I haven't said before, but I'm starting to realize it. With an iron-sided gun, I don't notice any difference in grip angle. A Glock, M&P, SIG, when I'm shooting an iron-sided gun, makes no difference to me. When I'm shooting a red dot gun, it makes a difference just like you. It, it does. And I think it's a natural point of aim. For, for the way you know we're just built yeah uh, I, I can I can you know go from an appendix and, and present the gun 
And that red dot's right there for me, you know, probably 19 times out of 20. Yeah. Every once in a while, I'll, I'll screw it up and not quite have it where it needs to be. Uh, but uh, but with a with a sit with a Glock, I had much more difficult time being consistent and being able to get that red dot where it needs to be. I spent more time fiddle farting around with trying to get it there. And so you know, under stress, you're if if it's more natural for you to do it, that's the better way to go. Yeah, and. I'm like you. I wear eyeglasses. I don't have them on because I don't need them for staring at my computer. But, in fact, I can see my computer better without my eyeglasses. But when I'm just walking around all the time, uh, I'm wearing my glasses. The red dot is not fuzzy with my glasses on. Right. The, 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 the iron sights are fuzzy. These iron sights are fuzzy with my glasses on. The red dot is not. Why is that? Well, because the uh, the red dot is closer to your face okay. than the front sight is, and so it's in your focal distance. Okay. So you're able to focus at you know three feet, but not at four feet. You just answered it. Yeah. The the yeah. red dot's closer to my face than the front sight is. Yes. Yeah. So that extra you know six inches, eight, in, whatever. Whatever the, the slide radi- uh, sight radius. Yeah. Excuse right. me. Whatever the slide length is. Yes. Right. Exactly. And so. Okay. And and I think you're able to focus on that a little bit better. Um, you don't even have to focus on it. That's the beauty of it. You just have to put it over the over the threat. You yeah. can have a blurry red dot over a bad guy just as easily as a sharp red dot over the bad. Oh, guy. absolutely, absolutely, so, yeah. Um, I'll never forget an interview I did with Grant Cunningham about, I think yes, it was I about, that. about three years ago. We right. talked about blurry sights. Right, blurry sight over a, over a blurry target. It still works. Now, for me, though, when I'm wearing my glasses, it's blurry front sight over a nice crystal clear target. All right, well, that works, too. And I've learned to do that. I have learned to shoot. I have learned to shoot through these iron sights even when they're blurry. Yeah, yeah um, Grant is a, is a very smart guy. He's a he's a big thinker. Yeah, and uh, and he's really come up with a lot of lot of things. And I have and and actually, there's I, I tested this. Uh, which do I prefer? Do I prefer blurry sights and a crystal clear target, or do I prefer clear sights and a blurry target? And for me, the first one is always a better option. I'll right. take the clear target. I'll take the crystal clear target and the blurry sights any day. Yeah. My problem is that it's a blurry target and blurry sights. Well, then you're just flat out screwed, John. Um, yeah, I know that. <laughs> um, all right, so getting back to our, our, our physical um, anatomy here in our arm. Uh, so we know we know what, uh, what shooter's elbow is or tennis elbow is. You've explained that. You've explained kind of some ways to prevent it. Uh, you said it could take about a year to go away. Uh what else about that should people oh, or, know? You know? Or yeah, or less. Or know? less, I mean, yeah. In, in my experience, it's been about a year every time I get it. I've had it twice, and uh, the last one was about two years ago, and it took about a year. Anti-inflammatories help, right? Right. Over right. over the so counter anti-inflammatories. Ice, yeah, ibuprofen is fine. Um, naproxen is fine. That's a leave. Yeah. Uh, either one of those work fine. You you know certainly have to take that stuff. You know, not on an empty stomach. Um, because it can give you gastritis and cause, you know, GI bleeds and things like that. Um, but 
it helps a lot. And then ice after activity. So if you've been shooting, mm-hmm. put ice on it for 20, 30 minutes. Make sure you don't freeze your skin. Mm-hmm. Put a little you know, washcloth or something over your skin first and then take your bag of frozen corn or frozen peas and, and you know, scrunch it up and then... I use an ice pack. Well, if you have an ice pack, that's fine. Yeah, I got three of those. Yeah, if you don't, frozen veggies, yeah. Yeah, frozen veggies work great. They just throw them back in the freezer again, refreeze them, just mark it so that somebody doesn't eat them because then they're really gross. (laughs) In (laughs) fact, (laughs) Frozen and defrosted six times, they're probably not very tasty after that. You know, I'd be remiss, John, if I don't talk about this. So anybody that's coming to our class next uh, next, uh, month... Uh, that Ben and I are teaching, if you want to bring your ice packs or bring your frozen vegetables and bring a cooler and have plenty of ice, we we give people a break about every 90 minutes of the class. And we give people a good 20-minute break or so about every 90 minutes. So you can ice down your elbow if you have a problem or ice your knees, whatever you you ha- seem to be having a problem with. Right. So hydrate. don't worry about that. And hydrate, yeah. Well, that probably helps your muscles to keep hydrated, right? Absolutely. Yeah. You got to drink your water. And the other thing is, you know, if you bring Gatorade, don't just drink drink Gatorade the whole time. You have to drink, you know, probably at least two to one, if not three to one, of water to Gatorade, so you don't get, you know, too uh, too dehydrated. Well, yeah, your sodium goes up high. Yeah, I stopped drinking Gatorade most of the time because good old water, just like you're doing now. It helps me. I forgot to bring my bottle of water in the office, but I'll survive because it's air conditioned. But when you come out and join us in the hot weather in South, Tex- South Texas, it's it's going to be a little bit cooler in six weeks, but not a lot. Yeah. So and the other thing we can talk about is shoulder problems, too. Ah, yes. A, a lot of us have shoulder problems. But both both Bob and I have experience with shoulder issues. Fact, oh, yes. I'm doing physical therapy on my left shoulder right now because I – separated it 12 years ago mountain biking and now i have some rotator cuff tendonitis fortunately not a tear but tendonitis so i'm doing physical therapy um for shoulder stuff with tendonitis you, you want to do physical therapy uh, the surgeon can do steroid injections which does help with that kind of stuff um but the key thing is keeping your muscles nice and strong mm-hmm. um if you do have a rotator cuff tear Getting it fixed within three months gives you better results, and the studies, the orthopedic studies show that. So if you do tear your rotator cuff tear, you know, do tear your rotator cuff, and the, the way they diagnose that is something uh, called the MR arthrogram. An arthrogram is putting dye in the shoulder joint, and then they put you in the scanner. Mm-hmm. I've had it. It's not that horrible. Uh, they put a little local anesthetic and stick a needle in your shoulder joint and then squirt the gadolinium in there, and then you go lay down in the magnet. The worst part's the scan- the scanner. That's the worst yeah. part. For me, yeah. I hate those things. Yeah. And I've had so many scanner, scans, it's unbelievable. The first scanner they put me in, I didn't fit in. <laughs> I was too big. I had to, I had to go across, uh, around the corner to go to the other place. A more open the, open scanner? Yeah, it's a, it's a bigger scanner. It just yeah. had a bigger bigger. A bigger donut. Yes, exactly. A bigger and so, donut. <laughs> and they, they put a coil over your shoulder anyway, so it helps yeah. it helps with you know the reading a little bit better. It gives you a little bit better um, uh, definition or resolution, I guess, of the of the scan. But if you have a rotator cuff tear, then you're, you're better off getting it fixed. Um, the other thing is if you know it affects how you draw the gun if you have shoulder issues. Yes, it does. If you have stiffness, so if if you're trying to wear a gun at, say, 3 or 4 o'clock, um, 
if you have a shoulder issue, you may have a hard time getting your hand back there to get on the gun and get it out of the holster. And so going appendix is probably a little bit better of an there idea you go. under that circumstance. There you go. And, In fact, and you can't say that you're too fat for appendix because I can carry appendix. <laughs> okay? You know, I'm 270 pounds. If, if I can carry appendix, you can carry appendix. Yes. It's all about having a good holster and a good belt. And eating maybe eating two less tacos that day. Well, uh, exactly. That, that <laughs> but, but anyway, it's it's still you know it's a it's an issue. It's a good holster but, and a good belt. You're right. Yeah, a good um, holster and a good belt. And, and I gotta uh, say, I gotta say, let, let let me talk about that. And even though Jason Christensen at Concealment Solutions is my sponsor, I don't think that he'll mind if I say this. Keepers holsters are very good appendix carry holsters. Spencer right. Keeper has really. Uh, thought those out, although you want to show us something from Concealment well, Solutions this, right this now. This is from Concealment Solutions, okay? This, uh-huh. is, this is an appendix holster. And that's a good one, too. But I've modified it. I don't know if you can see that. Oh, you've I done the, the keeper's triangle. You've given it the keeper's treatment. That's right. So I keeperized my Concealment Solutions holster. <laughs> Look at that. I didn't see so, the other side of that when you right, first showed it, show it to me. To you. But you see, it even says here, 365XL yeah. with the uh, Romeo Zero yeah. on it. With you the Romeo that? Zero. But you can see. You put a wedge, a foam, foam wedge on foam it. Foam wedge. And uh-huh. what that does is when it when it puts up your bo- against your body, it yeah. rotates the holster yeah. so that the grip of the gun is pushed in against your abdomen a little bit better. Yep, yep. So by doing that, and plus it's, it pads it on your pubic bone so that you're not getting the crap beat out of your pubic bone. So yeah. this this is not a, way, a bad way to go. No, it's not. I, and I just, I, I just I just added a little bit of a of a modification. And that's the concealment solutions ASP ASP. Right. Um, I think it's the 2.0 2. or 3.0. I can't remember which one it is. And I think but I, I actually asked him to uh, to build it up around a relief the, cut uh, for the, the uh, red dot. Yeah, for the red dot so it will protect the red dot. Mm-hmm. Cuz I've seen other like John um, pain. If you yep. look at his Glock holster that he has, it has one of these. Yep. So it, it protects does. the it protects the RMR or the, in this case, the Romeo Zero um, from getting beat on and now, getting sweat on too, for that matter. Now, ninety percent of the time, ninety percent of the time, uh, as I've told people, I'm carrying outside the waistband, not inside the waistband, in a Concealment Solutions Cobra holster, and I find I find drawing out of this to be extremely fast. But I am carrying it strong side hip. So if I had a problem with my right shoulder, then I would have to switch to appendix carry. But I think that's an option for for most people. Yeah. Um, It's not always comfortable sitting in the car, I have to admit. No. No. But um, for uh, walking around and stuff. I'll even, you know, clip it on the belt of my scrubs and just put my scrub shirt over the top of it. Mm-hmm. And as long as I tighten the, the scrub belt down tight, it, it's fine. If I, you know, if I'm running errands after work and I just throw my gun on, uh, clip it right on my scrub belt, stick it inside my pants, and then just put my scrub shirt over the top of it, nobody knows. And I'll tell you, right. speaking of sitting in the car, I find this outside the waistband method of carry to be great for driving oh, yeah. in a vehicle and people know i spend a lot of time in my car um the really cool thing is the seat belt does not come over the the front of this holster and gun when i'm carrying it just forward of my strong side hip 
Right. Uh, when I'm carrying an appendix, the lap portion of the seatbelt comes right. right across the holster. Yep. And um, I don't like that so much. Now, you can tuck it back behind the gun. You can tuck the lap portion of the seatbelt behind the gun. But, um, you know, I just, I can, I've practiced, trust me, I've practiced uh, accessing my gun while driving. Yes, well, yeah, you need to be able to do that. And I, I find I, it just I, as I fast to be. I took class years ago where we were shooting the gun from inside of a car. You had to draw, bring it across the top of the steering wheel, out the, out the window. Yeah. You know, and one of the it, things that you do is you can let the belt loose first yeah. and draw. And if you know what you're doing, if you know what you're doing drawing from the seated position, you're not going to sweep your leg. Right. Right. You just have if to you know get, what it you're up, doing. get it pointed forward and then across. Right. And then you can put it in on the target. Yeah. So, so I mean, there's there's all kinds of techniques that you can learn. Um, I think that uh, you know we all have physical limitations. Let's put we it do. And so the whole trick is to learn how to adapt your techniques and your equipment, if need be, uh-huh. to whatever your your uh, limitations are, and also just trying to keep yourself in as decent of a shape as possible because i think that really is important always the smartest you know me, thing. i'm out on my bike every flipping weekend yeah i know <laughs> and uh one of I'm these days i might join you back too, okay? yeah i know i know you are one of these days i might join you guys i gotta come, I, I gotta get up the nerve to go do it you just uh, gotta get up that's the problem at seven o'clock in the morning is it yes sometimes i don't remember my name at seven o'clock in the morning well, well uh, if you get some blood going <laughs> to your brain it might help you remember your name yeah hey you know speaking of adapting equipment to your situation i'm gonna move off subject for a minute but uh we all realize that ammunition is nearly impossible to find and sky high in price. Yep. So if anybody, I, we have several people signed up for the class that Ben and I are teaching. Matter of fact, it's a little over half full as, as of today. If anybody is worried about ammo, 22s are welcome. So if you happen to have a stash of 22 ammo and you have a 22 handgun, bring your 22 to our class. Um, you'll save maybe some of your 9mm or 40 caliber ammo, and the 22 won't be quite as punishing on your arms when you shoot it. So that might be an advantage if you have some physical ailments, maybe. Right. Shooting yeah, your 22. Or, or shooting a, a double action revolver in your class. <laughs> I did that. You're welcome to do it, but. Ago, and it hurt like a mother that, later on in that day. I tell you, my muscles were crying at the end of the day. And thank you for all back. your thank you for all your years of support coming to our classes, John. I appreciate oh, that. My, my pleasure. I need to publicly I, I thank you for that. Um, and uh, yeah, you did. I remember when you shot a double action revolver. How did that feel when you were done? Oh, it hurt like a mother. <laughs> I, I had I had cramps in my forearm muscles from from squeezing that 12-pound double-action trigger all day. Yeah. Uh, next day, I was okay. It was a little bit sore, but you know, I was recovered in two days. I didn't get tennis elbow from that, fortunately. But come on. Those are good guns for beginners to shoot, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. yeah we'll see about that. a lot that. of shooting, you don't want to do a double-action revolver, even though it was a 4-inch Smith & Wesson 686. You know, it was a, it was a, a substantial gun. But think, about, uh, think about it if somebody, think about it if somebody came to our, our two-day class with a snubby. I, I think yeah. they would uh, 
uh, we would pull out a gun and give them something different yeah, to use. I think that's after true. about the first three hours, they would be uh, looking for something else to use. Yeah, that's that's punishing. Hey, you know, and it it's the same thing I always say, and I've been saying now for 12 years doing this show. You need to carry what you're willing to train with and practice with all the time. Right. Because when when you really need it, if you haven't trained and practiced with it, and and... I'm sorry, but I don't see a lot of people at the ranges or in classes or in competition matches with snub-nosed revolvers. No. I just don't see it. They're an expert's gun, and they're difficult to shoot, and they're punishing. Yeah, they are. Uh, You know, they're great for a backup gun if you have to Or pocket gun. Yeah, pocket gun or whatever, you know, or ankle holster gun or whatever. If you, You know, and you're shooting five rounds to save your life, you don't even notice it. No. If you have to shoot... 500 rounds over two days it's it's pretty brutal yeah and i just the amount of practice that people put in with most snub nose revolvers i don't think it's enough practice for them to get real good at using those no and especially reloading them that's that's a difficult yes. task reloading like them is a different but anyway i'm not going to bash i'm not here to i don't want this show no. to be bashing I, a certain kind of gun i mean i love shooting that that double action revolver it's, oh yeah it's fun and it's a good skill to have but it's not my primary gun that I'm going to use for. And we've had students come with double action revolvers. Brian, you know who you are. I'm not going to oh, use his last and name. He handled, and he's a lefty. And he's a left-handed revolver shooter, and he's he was fantastic. And he, but he's a skilled. He's skilled with that. And, and frankly, he practices yeah, he, though. He practices. He'll, he'll hold. He'll hold his own against anybody else. He will. But you know, it's still it's a six round gun. And so, you know, you better be fast on your reloads and you better you better be accurate. And, uh, you know, in the meantime, a guy with a 17 round gun is shooting at you. You're in trouble. Yeah. You you better have some cover to get behind. Otherwise, you know, the game's over pretty quickly. And anybody's welcome to bring any gun they want to our class. We'll teach you how to shoot it. We'll teach you how to run it and we'll get you better with it. I'm just saying um, you might want to put some thought into it. But with the ammo crisis these days, 22s are becoming, seeming like becoming more, more appealing to some people. Right. Uh, but even yeah, that's hard to back find. Back in 2013, too, you know, we had that same issue of of the ammo shortage, and you know, so when you, as as you said in your last podcast, if you find it, buy it. Buy it. I just did today. I made a purchase. I won't say how much, but it was in the budget for this month. Uh, I made a purchase last month because it was in my budget. And even at these sky-high prices, it's kind of like dollar cost averaging when you're making an investment. You buy some low, you buy some high, you buy some middle-priced. And at the end of the day, you find yourself with a cabinet full of ammunition. Uh, Well, at the end of the year, actually. Yeah, well... I went looking through my uh, stockpile yesterday for the for the nurse, and I found a, a, a uh, ammo can full of uh, Winchester White Box nine millimeter. The oh. entire thing was full. So, I, I, I I hate you, John. You just happened to find that, huh? Well, it's, it was in there, and there's other <laughs> stuff hidden in there too. And plus, I have several cases of uh, 147. Um, you know, either the blazer brass or the uh, or the federals. You know, you found yeah. gold. You know that, don't you? Oh, I know. No, I finding a case of nine millimeter. You found gold these days. Oh, I know. I know. <sighs> no telling how much you could sell that for, but you don't want to sell it. Don't sell it because no, I'm not because you can't replace it. You know, it's that's ridiculous. My, that's, that's my stash. 
It's ridiculous. So everybody, get to the polls November 3rd. Vote so we can maybe bring some of the ammo prices down. I'm not going to tell you who to vote for, but in my comment, maybe you can kind of get the point. So we can bring some of the uh, ammo prices down a little bit to where they need to be. Right. And come to the class. Don't forget that. And uh, Come to the class. I, I should be there. I'm going to try to make it. Okay. And uh, so we'll see. We can and talk about some stuff if you want to talk about stuff. We will. I'm happy, we'll do happy that. To, to, make, to discuss whatever you guys want to discuss. Well, we'll do an interview at the range. So a special treat I want to tell listeners. We'll be doing an interview at the range, several interviews. And, John, if you come, we'll be doing an interview with you. Uh, we just booked the Dallas class yesterday. Oh, so I saw that. We're going to Dallas November 7th and 8th. So Ben and I have brought the band back together. We took about a, a almost three-year break. But uh, we're we're on another co- comeback tour now. Good. No, I'm looking <laughs> forward to it. It'd be fun to get out there, especially since you know my wife told me you're not getting on an airplane and traveling. So I got to find stuff local. Yes. And you know I got to get some training hours in this year. So. And we're going to make. Well for me. That's why we did Dallas because we can drive there in five hours and twenty minutes. Right. Uh, but yeah, getting on a plane, you know, I'll do it if there's a necessity. Um, but it's not everybody's first choice right now. Yeah. But tickets are plane tickets are reasonably priced. Right. Yeah. Uh, we'll they put go, it that way. The airplanes. <laughs> they want to avoid uh, having empty airplanes. Exactly. Okay, John. Any last um, any last word before we go? Nope. Just uh, look things up at drgo.us. You know, that's that's my uh, home base for for uh, for articles and stuff that I write. And um, what about two A speaking at, I will be speaking at the uh, Gun Rights Policy Conference. Uh-huh. It's it's going to be online this year, so it it's it'll be kind of a recorded thing. And then two uh, A doc dot com is our match service that we uh, we uh, match two uh, A friendly doctors with patients who want their privacy left alone and not ask stupid questions like you know, do you own a gun and all this kind of stuff. So none of free. your business. That's right. Exactly uh, right. And go back and look, listen to some of the old shows. You and I did an interview on that. Yeah. Uh, not too long ago. All right, Dr. John Adeen, thanks for joining us. Oh, it's my pleasure as always. Thank you very much, John Adeen. Check out his websites, drgo.us. That's drgo.us, and at two a doc dot com. I'll put a link in the show notes for both of those now stay tuned after the closing music of this episode john and i did another quick interview we forgot after we we recorded this one that we didn't do a tribute to dr william april Uh, dr william april a an icon in this industry recently passed away so john adine and i decided to do a real nice tribute to him, talk about his life, about his work, what he did, and how he served the firearms community in such a big way. So stay tuned. That's coming up very shortly, just after the closing music for this episode. Please remember to support this show because primarily it's a listener-supported show. And I only have one sponsor, and that's Concealment Solutions. I was just talking to Ben Branham and I today 
uh, I mean, excuse me, Ben and I were just talking today, and we're going to be adding a lot of new videos to the Shooters Club. I mean, we got all kinds of good things on there, like how to do the figure eight drill, how to perform better with your with your holsters and your reloads, how to shoot small automatics, small semi-automatics, I should say, how to shoot small semi-automatic guns, because it's a big difference. It's a big difference than shooting a larger gun. Uh, we did some some uh, videos on how fast you can draw. We got some great videos up there f that are taken directly from Beyond Concealed Carry uh, and different old uh, different classes that we taught in the past. There's some good video footage on that. Uh, we even explain what some of these drills are. We we have a video on there on how to shoot revolvers from retention and how to get good at shooting revolvers and mastering the double action trigger of revolvers. We got videos on there on action versus reaction, gun takeaways, the weave drill, uh, appendix carry techniques, all kinds. I mean, there's like over 80 of them. I'm just kind of going through a, a list of them. John Adine joined us to talk about the, the myth of the shot at the pelvic area, the pelvic shot. Uh, there's a lot of myth myths that's about that. And, you know, John busted a lot of those. Red dot pistol techniques. Uh, that's on the Shooters Club. How to use that effectively. Uh, a lot of customized audio podcasts uh, as well. Spencer Keepers, Brent Yamamoto, Masada Yub, many of them on there. Even interviews with students from the classes, gear reviews, uh, you know, different types of practice methods. You can't beat the value for $8 a month or $75 a year. You can get all that content at ShootersClubMembers.com, ShootersClubMembers.com, and you can check all that out over at HandgunWorld.com as well. And if you don't want to spend any extra money but you still want to support the show, please consider using my Amazon store whenever you make your Amazon purchases. Once again, you can find that at my website handgunworld.com that's it i hope you enjoyed this again stay tuned because we talk about dr william april at the end of this right after the closing music thanks for listening i'm bob main it's important to remember that evil does not exist in the holster it exists in the hearts of men and women so shoot straight shoot safe So we're going to kind of add on to the last interview. Uh, I realized after I finished up with that last uh, interview with John Dean that we forgot to talk about the late William April. So, John, welcome back on to talk about that. Yeah, thanks. This is the sad note. This is, this is the sad note. Yeah, we had a good time with the interview, which uh, we actually recorded yesterday, but this is a sad note, but we need to remember somebody. We need to remember, uh, as Masada, you recently said, a giant in this industry. And um, I'm going to put a link to an article that, that Masada, you did in Backwoods Home Magazine about Dr. William April. 
And uh, uh, John, tell tell people who was who was William April. Yeah, William April is a Ph.D. in, in uh, clinical psychology, I believe. Mm-hmm. Um, but he was an expert in the criminal mind and criminal behavior. Uh, he was um, a, a deputy sheriff and also, I think, a marshal, um, U.S. marshal for a period of time. Uh, and then he was also part of, of uh, uh, ShivWorks. Mm-hmm. And, and and those guys and he was a just a phenomenally smart guy. He was also an accomplished shooter too. He was really really good. Heard that. Never saw him shoot, but I heard. Yeah, he he's a really good shooter. And if you look at him, he's an underwhelming looking kind of guy. Yeah. You know, he doesn't look like somebody that can like you know shoot you dead without even batting an eyelash. Yeah. Very soft spoken. You know he's he's not a, you know a physically imposing person at all. Uh, he's kind of like a overweight middle aged kind of guy, kind of like me. <laughs> me, you know, <laughs> me too, you know, like a lot of us. Um, but um, the scope of knowledge that he had was was unbelievable. I, I first heard him talk at the Range Master Tactical Conference that you and I attended in 2017, and I was fortunate in that not only did I get him get a chance to hear his violent acts and actors for two hours, but then he also did another two hours on victim selection. How, how and, bad guys choose their victims, right? Exactly. And, and both of those just blew me away. I mean, I took copious notes. You know, here's my notebook from, you know, fr- from that. Wow. And it's just notes after notes after notes after notes. Look at that. That was the, that was the first lecture, and this is the second one. Look you at know, that. You know, and he he was just every word that came out of his mouth was a gem. So give us a couple of nuggets. A couple, it was every mouth, every word was a gem. Give us a couple of nuggets that you took away from uh, Dr. April. Okay, well, first of all, you know, and violent act and actors, um, a lot of it starts off when they're children. Because they're in homes where violence is a way of life, mm-hmm. and so you—you know—he told a story of, of the the two brothers, the older brother and the younger brother, and the uh, the father forced the older brother to beat up on the younger brother, otherwise he would get beat up on, and so viol- violence was the was the um, was the currency of power, and so these people became you know, sociopaths. And, and also, they they didn't have any empathy for their victims. After a while, it was just, you know, and so because they were taught not to, right? And and so, you know, and and then if their rules of of um, of behavior and and of so society are different than yours and mine, and in many ways, you know. You know, if you do something, say you walk by, you're walking down the street, you and your wife or girlfriend, and uh, you know you you look them in the eye. Well, they look at you that is a challenge, and that you know they may just pull a gun out and, and shoot you, because in their rules, under their rules, that was you know that was uh, they're bad supposed to do on that. Your part. Yeah, yeah, that was bad behavior on your part. You're the one that was you know that started it. Basically. You got in their way. Yeah. Well, no, yeah, but you just you you disrespected them. Oh, okay. You know, so you know, if you eyeball them as you're walking past them on the sidewalk, you may end up getting shot. You know, if you if you do the wrong thing, and so 
it's you know it's stuff like that that you know really turned my thinking around and I and really started to understand that the violent criminal actors are not like you and I. They don't have the same moral compass that you and I have, and, and that they're they're playing from a different playbook. Um, and the other interesting thing was that. And in the victim selection uh, lecture, uh, that that the you know they've done studies on on these violent criminal actors, and they're really good at picking out victims. Mm. People who you know like they'll they'll watch a video of somebody and they'll say, yeah, I'll sh- uh, he's a victim. Nope, nope, I wouldn't touch that guy. And then when you get learn the history of these people, you know. People who have been abused, or or people who who have been um, already victimized, they pick them all out. And so he, you know, the amount of information that he had in his head um, was was unbelievable. And, and fortunately, he shared a lot of it before he passed away. He passed away from a brain tumor, by the way. Yeah, and we were talking a little bit about that offline, but talk about that. Online, because when I read what caused him to pass, I I didn't understand it. Explain to people. Right. Yeah, it's it's in a place in the brain called the pons, which sits in front of the cerebellum and just above the uh, medulla oblongata. So it's kind of right in the brainstem. It's really kind of the major uh, junction box, you know, from the upper part of the brain to the lower part of the brain. Unfortunately, it's a non-operable operable place, uh, and I think that. Uh, uh, I don't. I don't think he knew very long. I mean, he was having some weird symptoms, and they diagnosed him. And he's he had communicated with with some people that you know he had a real problem. The unfortunate thing is that I don't think he's ever written a book or at least had anything. You know, hopefully there's a legacy out there somewhere that where he can, you know, somebody can write that stuff down and pass it along because he's got some videos, know, doesn't he? Oh, he's got lots of stuff out yeah, there. Yeah, yeah, but. But, uh, you know, when you write it down in a book and really, yeah. you know, kind of reference it and, 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 you know, putting down his experiences, that's something that's just totally invaluable and, and uh, frankly, would outlive him um, for a long, long, long time. Uh, you know, if you if you watch the Masada, you or take a look at the Masada, you article in Backwoods Home, there's actually a video of him. Uh, from the uh, 2015 uh, Range Master Tactical Conference, I think that gives you an idea of who he is and ca- the kind of knowledge that he had. He was a pretty amazing guy. Yeah, and the title of Masada Yub's um, post is called A Giant Passes. Uh, uh, right. Mr. April was a giant in this industry, and, and uh, it, you know, it's. I have a regret. I have a regret I'm going to confess right here on this show when you and I and Ben went to, I think, the first tactical conference that we went to. Uh, right, the I dis- 2017 in 2017, I decided to skip William April's lecture, and I so regret that. And I remember you and Ben talking about it. I remember you guys talking about it. So I never got a chance to hear the guy say two words, um, and I, I regret that. I regret that. We all have regrets in life, and so I'm going to take this opportunity to just tell people, when there's something you want to do, do it because you never know if you may never have that chance again to do it. Exactly you know? right, and and you know, and, and the correspondence that I had with him, you know, online and afterwards, he always called me good doctor. Which good doctor. Was, <laughs> yeah, says that was very well written. Good doctor. 
And, uh, you know, he, he was a good doctor as well. He yes. Was very, very good. He was a superb individual. Um, and the, the guy, you know, had so much knowledge. And unfortunately, that a lot of that's lost at this point. Taken way, way too young. Oh, but, yeah, absolutely. Uh, you know, um, so, you know, live every day like it's your last because you don't know. Um, right. And check out Dr. April's stuff because and I'm going to I'm going to do it now. And, yeah. you know, unfortunately, sometimes people become uh, more well known after they pass. Um, right. And it's, it's a shame. He's it's, it happens to a lot of people. Right. His um, website is April, A-P-R-I-L-L, Risk Consulting. Yeah, April with two L's. Yeah. Uh, just like the month with two L's. Add right. an L to it. Risk right. Consulting. And, 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 you know, here's another thing that, you know, the kind of person that uh, Dr. April was. When um, Paul Gomez passed passed along, um, he was one of the organizers of the Pauli Palooza, where they, you know, it was a kind of a training event to raise funds for, for Paul Gomez's kids. Yeah. And that's the kind of guy that he was. Well, and I hope now that there's an event to help uh, Mr. April's family. Uh, I will I'll participate or donate or do whatever I can to help make that event a success if there if I hear of such a thing. Yeah, but he's he was a really, really good guy. And, and I was uh, proud to to uh, have known him and to have uh, been able to interact with him. Um, it was really super, super people. Well, the last thing on this subject that I wanted to cover, uh, tell people why is it important to study his material? Because, uh, A, you don't want to be a victim. <laughs> That's the first thing. And, so, and you need to know how not to be a victim. Right, right. Exactly right. So, you know, when, when, you're, when you're using your, uh, you know, your situational awareness, you also need to be able to project that you're not a victim, that you are aware and that you're, you know, that you're prepared if you need to be. And also understand that the violent criminals out there are not like you and I. They, they, they play off a different rule book and their rule book may seem crazy to us, but it makes perfect sense to them. And so, you know, you're basically a, a sheep to be slaughtered. Okay, you're a source of, of whatever he wants. So think about it. That's riveting. Yeah, you know, you you're um, you don't even rate as a human being. You are just a means to an end. And these people are sociopaths. They have no empathy for you. They don't care about you. They don't care about your family. They don't care about anything other than doing what they want to you. You're just a means to an end. And, you know, that's frightening stuff. That's that's riveting stuff. But it's you're right. It's so important. Uh, and I often wonder, and it's more than just putting a gun on your belt. Uh, a lot of people think, well, OK, I got a gun on my belt. I'm good now. No, you're not good now. You're not good now because, uh, you know, uh, whether the bad guy even knows you have a gun on your belt or not, it probably doesn't make any difference to him. No, he's he's seen guns before and he's had guns pointed at him. Right. You know, they mean he doesn't want to him. get shot. Right. He doesn't want to get shot. And a lot of these guys have already been shot. Right. So they're not afraid, and they've lived through it. So they're not afraid of you pointing a gun at them. You know, you need to, you know, if you are going to use it, you better use it and use it well. And the, the whole thing is to, is to project that you're not a victim, that you're not an easy mark, 
that you're not prey, that you're another predator out there, then you get left alone. Then you don't have to use it. You know, guys like Masada Ayub and, and uh, you know, Tom Givens and stuff, nobody's going to attack those guys. They don't look like victims. They they look like predators too. You know, Craig Douglas, all right. those guys. Greg Ellifritz. Greg Ellifritz, yeah, well, the Gorilla Fritz. <laughs> gorilla Fritz. <laughs> yeah, I mean. Like, uh, like, like Mr. T used to say, I pity the fool who's going to attack him. <laughs> right. I mean, that guy is, is muscle on muscle, and, and he knows how to use it, you know. Uh, and, 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 you know, it's, it's a term of endearment, but it really does fit. You know, he's, he's a, you know, a physical specimen that you can't, uh, you know, you, you, you can't, uh, compare with most human beings, you know. And yeah. he's still active duty police officer, so he's. And I think yeah. he's getting ready to retire pretty soon. But you know, uh, I wouldn't mess with him. Well, and the kind of people that that Dr. April taught about, uh, because even though I didn't listen to his lecture, I, I have read various articles. Other people too have done a pretty good job. Maybe not as much as Dr. April, but they've talked about this, the victim selection process that a lot of bad guys have, and. Uh, the biggest thing is that you don't look like and act like a victim, but even if they mistakenly pick you out as a victim and you have even two seconds to respond, I've always liked to ask people the question, can you pull the trigger and can can you get the job done? Yeah. Because uh, you need well, to. Yeah, before you carry the gun, you better answer that question already. A lot of people don't, though. Yeah. Well, that's, what that's why we're having this conversation. Right. Because – these people won't hesitate. No. I can tell you that right now. You are food. Yeah. You are an insect. Yeah. Like squashing a cockroach. Right. That's what you are to them. And so, you know, they're not going to hesitate. They don't have these good versus evil thoughts. No. You know, you, you, it doesn't even cross their mind. You know, and they, they don't really care if, the, if other people get hurt, too. They'll just start shoot, 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 shoot. If they miss you and shoot somebody else, they don't care. You and I care. Whether we, you know, you know, whether we uh, miss and hit somebody else or not, you know, yeah. we may not shoot because of the backstop is may not be good or whatever. But these they don't care. They, they don't care. They're going to shoot you and they're going to shoot anybody who's anywhere around you. It doesn't make a difference. Just one more cockroach to stomp on. They don't give a darn about the four rules of gun safety whatsoever. They could no. care less. Um, now, they may not even know what those rules are and don't care. And even they if care. Yeah, they don't care. Um, yeah. And, you know, the the. The thing that I've always wondered is, is when I'm out there, you know, do I make myself look like a hard target or a soft target? Do I make myself look like a victim or do I make myself look like somebody that you shouldn't mess around? And I'm not saying I'm muscular, athletic, because everybody knows I'm not. Uh, but you don't have to be. You just have to have a presence about you that that tells people, you know, don't select me. Right. That's right. Oh, it's you know, it's paying attention to your environment. Yeah. It's the way you carry yourself. You know, people with like a slight limp or you know bad posture or or you know just kind of an aura about them. Uh, these guys can pick up on that stuff right away. And so you have to project the other thing. You have to be standing up straight, looking out, you know, to your environment. Look ahead. Look Get around. off your phone. That's right. Yeah, exactly. Don't be, don't be, you know, don't be distracted by yeah, something you else. Your phone, if your phone in your face, you're never going to see it coming. Oh, my you, goodness. You, no. You'll wake up on the ground, on you know, after being robbed. If you wake up. If you wake up. Yes. Exactly. 
Yeah, well, um, it's a terrible thing about, about about his passing, but I'm glad we can get together and uh, and celebrate his life and what he was yeah, about he, as he well. Was fantastic guy, absolutely yeah. fantastic. You know, it's, it it was a shocking loss. You know, to me when I when I saw that he had passed away, yeah. I mean, it was out of the blue. And, uh, you know, I saw it on Facebook and it was on Tom Gibbons's Facebook yeah. page is where I first saw it. Um, and uh, it was it was shocking. And then uh, for anybody that follows Rob Pincus on Facebook, uh, you need to go to his page, too, because he's got some pretty good stuff on there, too, about Mr. April. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, yeah. I mean, what, what a great guy. And uh, he will be missed by by the, the Second Amendment community. And by the, 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 you know, the training community. I regret it so much. And I had a second chance to go see him at the second TAC conference I went yeah. to. And I passed up on the second chance. I think it's because I wanted to take some shooting class that somebody was doing. Right. Um, and he, uh, he, was, he was phenomenal. And I, I was happy that, that I was able to get four hours because that was some of the be- <laughs> that's some of the best training hours I've ever had. With him, it was just uh, an eye opener. That and uh, Greg Ellifritz's bomb lecture—that was the other one. That was Ooh. one of those ones that are like, wow, you de- definitely don't want to miss that stuff because that's just unbelievable. And speaking about not missing stuff, uh, don't miss the Range Master Tactical Conference that's held every year except this one. Uh, this one obviously canceled due to COVID nineteen, but uh, I went two years and I want to go again. I'll go in twenty twenty one. Yeah, I'm already, I'm already signed up. You, yeah. you can sign up already. So go sign up. It's up in Dallas, so people from Texas yeah. uh, and Oklahoma and the local areas, uh, it's easy to get to. I mean, when it was in um, uh, Little Rock, we drove from San Antonio. We did. We rented it. Yeah, and it was a, a bit of a long drive. And same thing with New Orleans, a little bit of a drive. Yeah. But it, it was definitely worth going. There's so much good information and you know, the, the tactical conference brings, uh, you know, trainers and educators from all over the all over the country in one place. And it's a smorgasbord of stuff that you you can't uh, uh, you just can't eat it all, Bob, can you? No, you can't. There's no explaining how amazing it is. You know, I yeah. the first time I went, I just I almost didn't go. Uh, and, and actually, you and Ben convinced me to go. And boy, I'm happy I did. It's just the statement. It's like drinking from a fire hose. That's a big understatement. Uh, And it's worth it's worth five times what you pay for it to go there. And uh, the two times I went were is when it was in Arkansas at Darcy. And and it's well worth it. So being in Dallas, a five hour drive from here, you know, I got to go. And I was I was mad at myself this year. Because by the time I decided to sign up, they were sold out, and now I got a reprieve because they didn't have it. Go and sign up now. Yes, sign because up. I'm 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 actually hoping that some people drop out that are already signed up, so I can have an opportunity to sign up. Yeah. Well, I, you, there may be some spots available. Still, yeah. So I, I would I would sign up for the 2021 one. I'm already signed up. And there are people I just, there. That, I mean, some of the people that we've talked about just here. <clears throat> on this little clip, I mean, uh, uh, people like Greg Elifritz and Spencer Keepers and um, uh, who's that? Craig Douglas. Yeah. And uh, Cecil Birch. Right. 
which I watched you roll roll around the ground at that class. Yeah, just enough jits is what he called it. Yeah, and who's the guy? Who's the guy? I'm sorry, I forget his name. That does a fabulous job of teaching the pocket pistol classes. The the police officer from Kansas. Right. Right. the police officer the from marshal, Kansas. The marshal uh, Haggard, Chuck Haggard. Chuck Haggard, Mr. Haggard. Yes, yeah, sorry that uh, – and uh, Claude Warner. Uh, just, Chuck Haggard also does the, the does the uh, pepper spray. And he does the pepper too. spray. I didn't take that one. But that was it, good. It, tactical Conference is a three-day event where you can go there, and they have all these lecturers, all these shooting classes, all these other types of classes like the like – slight jiu-jitsu class that Cecil Birch did, and you basically pick and choose where you want to go and what right. you want to do, and it's all in one area. It's all at so a giant trauma range. Trauma medicine stuff. Trauma and, medicine, yeah. yep. And, and it's revolvers, and it's, you know, yeah. like Gabe White. Gabe White teaches a shooting class there, yeah. Uh, I attended I attended a couple Spencer Keepers classes. I did one of his classes that he did on appendix carry, and then I, I attended his lecture on appendix carry. Uh, they were great, and it was uh, it was great. And I and 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 I have to say, I always thought that I was pretty good at shooting a little pocket gun. I mean, uh, Chuck opened my mind to some stuff about a pocket gun. And actually, Ben and I, we learned. A, you guys got to see Chuck Haggard's uh, technique of of reloading a. Uh, uh, a pocket gun, the way he teaches it, a little pocket semi-auto, like a little 380 uh, LCP or car P380. It's amazing what he teaches and how to reload those things fast. So that was, that was a two hour class. Yeah. Those, I mean, the, the, the people that are there teaching classes, they're vetted. Unbelievable. They're, they are nationally, you know, John Murphy and, and yeah, uh, John Holston and I mean, John there's Holshen, all kinds of people. Yeah. I mean, just it, it, people that, that most of us don't know, but when yeah. you show up and you go listen to them, you're like, yeah, oh, yeah, that guy knows his stuff. And, and you, I think always, uh, always valuable stuff coming from either the lectures or the shooting. And you can do, you don't even have to shoot a single round for the whole thing. You don't have to shoot around. Yes. You can. In fact, I think the second time I didn't shoot a, I didn't shoot around. I, I went to all lectures and uh, it was it was fantastic. Um, I think our friend a couple of years ago, our friend Carl Wren, he did a uh, I think it was in 2019. He did a historical handgun right. uh, seminar there. And He's done uh, that a couple of years. A couple I, I years. Yeah. That in, 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 in 2019 as well. Yeah. Down in New Orleans. Down in New Orleans. But, okay. Yeah. But he's you know, I mean, it, I mean, there's just such good people there and uh, it's, it's worth going to. Yeah. So I guess that's a that's a good end for the commercial, huh? That's a good end for the commercial. That's okay. So rest in peace, William April. Um, yeah. And uh, a giant loss. Uh, check it out. And of course, I'll be putting all kinds of links in the show notes for his stuff. Yeah, he will be missed. I can tell you that. I already miss him. Yeah. <laughs> all right, John. Thanks for coming back on and doing this. Oh, you're welcome. My pleasure.